Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today. And if you're looking for more resources, check out chrisvalentin.com. Lord, we just thank you for this message today. We just we bless every mind, and we pray, God, that we would be open-minded to the things of the King, His kingdom. Amen. God bless. Awesome. Well, this morning I want to talk about the power of authenticity or the power of being real. And um, I, I had a, an encounter, this, it's been a few months ago, uh, and, I, and I, I want to read you part of the encounter. But you know, um, the sons of Issachar were famous, really, at least in the Bible, for one main thing. They understood the times. And they understood what Israel should do in the times. And I think it's really important for us to understand the times so that we can actually correspondently do what we're supposed to do in the times, so we can be congruent with the times. And, uh, and so I want to just talk to you a little bit about something that I think that God is inspiring um, in America, but all over the world. And let me just read it to you, a, a few of the points. The Lord told me that we are living in the age of authenticity. He told me we're living in the age of authenticity. And there is a movement rising that challenges people to be real and authentic. And I, I really believe that God has inspired this move. You know, um, sometimes when I think, sometimes I think that God inspires, uh, when God inspires a move, I think sometimes we're, we're not really sure why it happens. It's kind of like, why do birds fly south in the winter? It's kind of instinctive. And I think that when God moves on, on, on people, oftentimes instinctively, instinctively, we do things that we can't really explain. We, we try to explain them, but we can't, we don't really know why we do what we're doing. And I think that God is inspiring this move of authenticity. And I think it's, it's spreading all over the world. And I think that people are really tired of being pressured into trying to be someone else. And I, I think that if you're authentic, then you are, whether people agree with you or not, you're more likely to be trusted. There's this thing of authenticity that the Lord is saying, come out and be real. Now, I, I wanna, before I go on and tell you more about what I believe that God is doing, I want to remind you that when God moves in the earth, that oftentimes the enemy cannot stop the move of God, so he tries to, to dilute it by, um, by his own move. For instance, Moses goes to Pharaoh, and first of all, God said to Moses, I want you to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And here's a, a huge move of God. God has waited 400 years to free the Israelites from the Egyptians agreed a new epic season. And God goes, it's time to free the people. And so he says to Moses, Moses, you're going to talk to, Moses, you're going to, talk to Pharaoh, and you're going to tell him, let my people go. And Moses goes, what if he says no? <laughs> and you remember the story. Moses, what's in your hand? Throws down a staff and becomes a snake. And goes, do that. So he goes to Pharaoh, him and Aaron, and says, you know, let my people go. Of course, Pharaoh says, no, I'm not doing that. He throws down his staff, actually Aaron's staff, throws down his staff, becomes a snake. But do you remember what happened? This, the sorcerers threw down their staffs, and they became two snakes. And in fact, the first five plagues that Moses was commanded to do, the first five miracles, the sorcerers duplicated every one of those miracles. My point is this, that oftentimes we see God, if you will, throw down his staff, and it becomes a snake, and the enemy duplicates it with two snakes, and Christians run away from the snakes going, well, that's a New Age thing, that's a, that's a demonic thing, that's, that's the enemy's thing. 
and it becomes the enemy's thing. It becomes self-fulfilling prophecies because believers who were supposed to perpetuate the move of God actually ran from, ran from the move. And I'm saying all of that often happens because we don't understand the times and we, we think because the enemy actually doubles God's move, we don't realize that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And metaphorically, the God's snake ate the other two snakes, but it doesn't happen in our time because we run away from all the snakes and on Facebook we declare that that is a demonic move, not realizing that God initiated the move. Think about when God initiated the, the move of Jesus on the earth to free his people from sin. Think about this. Do you remember that, that the enemy heard about Jesus being born in a manger and all this stuff? And what, 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 and what happened? The, the Herod, remember? King Herod kills all the firstborn males. In other words, would the move of God be known as a savior or would it be known as a genocide? Because both things happen simultaneously. Is it God or is it the devil? Yes. And I'm saying I propose that the enemy could not stop the savior of the world. So he tried to create a distraction. Are you following me? We label it. We label it. We see it after the distraction and miss the savior. So I think it's important to know, like, what time is it so we can actually be involved, we can actually make sure we're following the right snake, so to speak, <laughs> right? We see God's snake in there, we go, hey, that's, that looks like the enemy, but go, God's in the middle of it. God initiated it. And I think that oftentimes God initiates things that the enemy takes over because believers specifically do not get involved and co-labor with God. So I want to tell you a little bit about this move of God. So uh, let me read you the, that first little line. The Lord told me that we're living in the age of authenticity, that there's a movement rising challenging people to be real and authentic. This is the reason why religion is hated in our time. We are in, a, in an epoch season of authenticity that many feel like religion causes people to behave from the outside in instead of the inside out. Religion often pressures people to do things for the sake of appearance of spirituality. What I'm getting at, do you remember in the days of Jesus? Jesus, we, we as believers, we often see Jesus like he was so kind, like sinners loved him. I'd suggest that not all sinners loved him. And that most of the sinners who didn't love him were the religious people. Like Jesus was really kind to the adulteress, but not so nice to the religious people. And so we can kind of put those religious people in a category, all oh, those Pharisees, those scribes, you know, those Sadducees, they were evil. And then we have to like use our discernment because did you notice in the book of Acts who was leading much of the move of God? It was the Pharisees who once were against him. And how many of you understand that in that day, it was only the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes that actually knew the Bible. For instance, the apostle Paul. How many understand that Apostle Paul was one of the Pharisees that actually converted to Christianity who wrote 13 books of the New Testament? I, I'm trying to say, if you stereotype people and you go, the religious people are all against God, you're going to miss some of God's snakes. Because God has his snakes in every realm of society. And so when you make blanket statements, instead of seeing with the eyes of God, instead of understanding with the heart of God, you make blanket statements about big groups of people, you're going to miss the fact that God's got a snake in that group too. 
Uh, you know, I'm saying good snake, right? Okay, just make sure. <laughs> Everybody makes mistakes, but in this move of God, if you're quick to admit them to others you, and, and, and to yourself, you'll endear yourself to others. Authentic people is a, <laughs> authenticity is driving reality shows. I, I'm trying to say, when God does something, it manifests naturally. One of the ways it's, it's naturally manifesting is that people are going, I don't want to watch a fiction movie anymore. I want to watch a reality show. Now, we all know reality shows not usually reality. <laughs> it's so funny. It's a reality show. It's like, no, life doesn't really happen like that. But, but I'm saying there's a hunger for give me what's real. I'm tired of your Instagram. All your children are smiling. My children don't smile like that. Stop and give me the real thing. One of the most repeated uh, um, hashtags is unfiltered on photos. Unfiltered. It means I didn't Photoshop myself. This is what I really look like. I, 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 I'm trying to say this move of God is actually in the very fabric of people's thinking, but they don't know it's God. Okay, here we go. We're streaming, so let's see if this will work. <clears throat> I propose that Donald Trump's popularity is being driven by this epic season of authenticity. Whether you like him, you don't like him, that's not my point at all. It's not a political statement at all. But he's real, and people would rather have a real disagreement with someone who's authentic than an agreement with someone who they deem is telling them what they want to hear. And by the way, the same thing's happening in Brazil right now. If you watch the Brazilian, I got a chance to pray over the Brazilian president before he was president in April, him and his family. And he's another, they, they, this is what the Brazilians said. I, obviously, I don't even know the language. So this is the Brazilians say, this is the Donald Trump of Brazil. And, and my point is, is that authentic people, I'm not saying I agree with their politics or anything. Just, just hear this one part. Authentic people are rising to places of power because people are starving. Give me the real. I don't agree with him. But at least I actually know what he's thinking. I actually know what she's thinking. And there's something about this season, this era of authenticity that God's snake began. I, I, okay, here we go. It's going to get worse. You look happy, so I'll take another risk. I believe God's in the Me Too movement. I believe that God is draining the swamp, not any political person. That God, okay, just follow me. Okay, put on your discernment eyes and your, we love Chris no matter what he says. Because Chris is real and even though we don't agree with him, we still know where we stand with him. Okay, okay God, thank you. Follow me and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a prophecy that I, I believe that's true. I, I don't give out the ones I don't think are true anymore. I'll quit that completely. <laughs> that was a joke <laughs> that I ever did that in the first place. I believe that God's in the Me Too movement, and I believe that God is, is creating morality through an authenticity. I'm going to share it with you in a minute why that is, how that is, how I believe that is. But I believe that God is moving in Hollywood. And I believe that people are beginning to stand up and say, I, I confess, I, I did that, I was wrong about that, that person raped me, that person, I, I, I slept with that producer so I could get that movie spot, 
And I believe that God is beginning to create a culture, a confession, and authenticity because it's the first step into wholeness. And here's my, here's my prediction. In the next 10 years, the people, actresses and actors, are going to begin to refuse to be in risque scenes. Because they're going to say, I can see that that thing I just repented of is actually being perpetuated by the movie I was in. And you're going to see in the next 10 years that there's going to be a whole move towards wholeness. You know how people are, are in the last 20, 30 years are into Whole Foods? I haven't caught up with that move yet. <laughs> you know how people stop smoking? Like 70% of people in America stop smoking. I'm saying, like, what happened? I'm saying, I, I, I don't want to make too much of it, but I believe God is in the, in the business of wholeness. And you can say, well, this happened, that happened, that advertisement happened, this person got involved. But God is the tipping point into morality. And I believe that he snuck a stake, snake in to Hollywood, into the political world, into the world of Herod, and into the world of the Pharisees. And I think it's going to shift culture. And I think it'll only shift culture if we get involved. If we miss the snake, we won't co-labor. God goes, okay, throw the snake in there. Keep going back. Moses, Aaron. How many know if they would have thrown the snake down and Pharaoh would have thrown down two staffs and two snakes and they would have, well, that didn't work. I, I quit. You know, come on, Aaron. Let's just go try something else, you know. How many know that it was five miracles that the sorcerers duplicated before they could no longer duplicate the miracles of God. How many know if Aaron and Moses would have quit on the fourth one or even on the fifth one, how many know there would have been no, the Egyptians would have not freed the Israelites? I'm saying persistence to, I know God said this. It doesn't look good. The devil keeps duplicating what we're doing. doesn't seem like we're getting free here. Aaron, let's just keep doing what God said. How long are we going to do this, Mo? We're going to do this till the people go free. That's when we're going to do it. I, I love uh, that. I love authenticity because well, God's authentic. I mean, one of the things that endears me to the Bible is that God tells on his own people. He's like, I love David. He's a man after my heart. Oh, he murdered a guy and committed adultery with another one. But, you know, still a good guy. How about Abraham, the father of faith? who had a season of doubt in which he had a child out of wedlock. God goes, he's the father of faith, mostly. <laughs> How about Jacob? You know, God creates a whole nation out of Jacob. A nation out of Jacob. Did you notice a nation out of Jacob? Two wives and two mistresses. Seven children from mistresses. And God goes, that's a nation? We're like, God, those were not even his wives. He's a good man. And I love that God didn't, like, he didn't Photoshop his people. I mean, he could have left the story of, of David killing Uriah. I mean, why, why did he put that in there? I mean, he could have easily kept it out. and would have, Yeah, David was an awesome man. And God goes, he wasn't, kind of. Sometimes, he mostly, he was. <laughs> How about Peter? He denies Christ three times and becomes the head of the church. I think I should be ahead of Bethel. I've only done it twice. I should be at least ahead of Bethel. I, I mean, are, do you understand? Like, God doesn't, he doesn't Photoshop. He's not an Instagrammer. He's not a Facebooker. He, he just like, this is what, this is like, I love this guy. 
and, 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 and here's everything he did. And it was like, God, how can he be a man after your heart when he, he killed Uriah? I mean, he wouldn't be able to be an elder on anybody's church team. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? He wouldn't qualify as a Bethel elder. We would do it like, he's a murderer and an adulterer. Doesn't qualify. Can't have our podium. And God goes, I like the guy. Okay, I like him too. <laughs> this authenticity, like why is God involved? And I'm sure there's a lot more reasons than, than I have in mind. But one of the reasons is authenticity leads to confession, which brings wholeness. Uh, in 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, help me, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and help me, cleanse me from all unrighteousness. The, the first step of wholeness, the first step, like you can't take another step until you confess your sins. I'm saying there's this piece of authenticity when I finally say, I did that. I was wrong. How many know that didn't fix everything, but it began the process of wholeness. God said, if you'll confess, I will put you on the process where I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What does cleansing from unrighteousness mean? It means the core root reason why you sinned. Maybe it was insecurity. Maybe it was fear. Maybe it was hatred. God goes, I'm going to drive that thing out of you. But it's going to begin with, you are going to start it by authenticity. You're going to be real, and you're going to admit, I was wrong. Now, I want to just say that some people get addicted to confession. Uh, follow me. There is a kind of burden lifted when you tell the truth about your brokenness, about your sin. There is. And probably all of us know people that they've learned that when I'm honest about my sin, ha, a weight is lifted. But how many understand that confession needs to lead to repentance? So I can get addicted to confession, but I never actually get, I just keep lifting the burden but then I keep living the lifestyle. So confession, confession breaks the power of sin, but repentance connects me to the power of grace. And Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 7.10, for sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And so we understand that repentance, like first we confess, great, but we're not whole yet. Now we repent. And let me tell you, a repentance, it means to change, someone, you know, to change your mind. But it comes from two words. And I don't know anything about Greek. This is just a study I did. I, I barely know English. Well, you can laugh. But when I was born, I spoke in tongues. My parents taught me English. You'll just, that'll settle for a while. Um, the, word, the Greek word uh, repentance comes from two words. The first one is meta, and it means after or afterward. And the second one is, to, is, uh, is N-O-E-O, and it means to understand or to perceive. In other words, repentance means after I sinned, I understood my sin differently. I no longer want to do that. When I lied to my wife, after I sinned, I realized, I repented, I understood it afterwards. I understood that that breaks my relationship with my wife, and therefore I don't want to do it anymore. Are you with me? 
So repentance doesn't mean, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, repentance means, oh, I see that was wrong and it's destructive. Are you with me? And then the third part of this repentance is Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 3. He said, bring forth fruit of repentance. What does that mean? I love Danny Silk's idea. He says, who did, you know, you drop, like, sin is like, I dropped a five-gallon bucket of paint. Repentance is like, who did I get it on? Like, the fruit is, I go clean up my mess. Does that make sense? And so um, these are the, the steps, and this is what authenticity is releasing in us. This, this spirit of authenticity that the Lord is releasing is causing people to confess, to repent, and to bring forth fruit of repentance. We're watching it in our own grandson. Just uh, three months ago or so, he wasn't walking with the Lord at all and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And, and he ended up on the car fire working for a guy who was really lover of Jesus. He kinda, we kind of encouraged him to work on the fire. Like, if you want to eat, you'll be working on the fire. <laughs> it was very encouraging. <laughs> he connected with this man who led him back in connection with the Lord. And right there in the second row, the Lord touched him. He was on the floor for, I don't know, an hour and a half or two hours. He got up, and I happened to be in the room that day. And he turned to me, and he said, Papa, something hate, something like hate left me. Something like bitterness and hatred. Just He said, I was laying on the floor. It was like God was pulling it out of me. And then, and then about, I don't know, three or four weeks later, Havla was preaching here, and she called him out, and she, started, she gave him a word. Down on the floor he goes again. It's full of electricity. He got up and he's like, Papa, all I want to do is just, I want to be a preacher. I just, I just, want, to, I just want to love God. And, and we're watching his repentance, his confession. And the first thing he did is he began to, Papa, I need to talk to you. He's telling us about all of his immorality he's been involved in. He just, something happens when God touches you. He's like, I got to just tell you. I got to get, I got to get the process started. And he began to apologize, go in and apologize to people that he'd hurt and and, and now he, we have this conversation yesterday with Jay and Lauren, and, and uh, we were over there for a few minutes, and, and they said, it's so nice, Elijah wakes up happy. And, and, uh, and Lauren said, I don't even care that his bedroom's dirty anymore, because he's nice. <laughs> That's that thing of repentance. It's that when God moves on us, we confess, we begin to say, oh, I see how my sin is, it's, oh, it's not the way I saw it. It is hurting me and other people, and I began to, to repent. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's just really beautiful what we see happening to him. Um, the, the, here's the snakes that the enemy is throwing down. In the midst of God saying, be authentic, be real, come out, be yourself, be honest, the devil says, go ahead and I'll punish you. I will raise the bar of punishment so high you will never want to confess. And we have this other thing going on where we saw it with judge, with the uh, judge election of the Supreme Court judge not long ago. And we're seeing it, I, I saw it in Romania years ago when the Romanians came out of communism. We were there 10 years after. And uh, the Romanians, they, they learned to lie because the communists, especially the Christians, the communists would kill their children, imprison their fathers and mothers, rape their, their women. And so when a, when a, when a communist... Uh, uh, official would come to their door and ask them if they were Christians or if their children were Christians, they just learned to lie. Just, we, we would probably all do that, by the way. Let's not point fingers at anybody. I know if someone was going to kill my wife and all it took us a little lie, I would definitely be on the lie side and I'd be 
repenting the next day, hopefully repenting, definitely confessing. But what happened is the culture of punishment created a culture where people did not want to be honest. And so what we were doing in Romania, a lot of what we were doing is we were teaching nobility and integrity and honesty and character and how important it is to live from virtues, you know, instilling virtues back into a culture that had largely lost them because for, for reasons that weren't their fault. And by the way, the Romanians are becoming very noble people now. But my point is that if you raise the bar, if you say, if you confess, I will punish you, how many understand not a lot of people are going to be confessing and the culture of wholeness that God is instilling through authenticity is going to go away. I was uh, th- talking to some people not too long ago, and we were talking about their, their, their particular child who was a uh, teenager caught in, they, they, they discovered that he was uh, involved in some immorality. And um, they were like, wow, we're going to, you know, and they, were, they just didn't know what to do. And they're like, you know, teenager, like we're going we're gonna to make sure that he never does that again. And so we have this conversation, and I'm like, well, how's that going to work out for you? Like, you can shame your kids into not talking to you, but you won't shame them into great character. I remember in our home, one of our kids was in, uh, got stuck in porn, and, and they came out and said to us, Dad, one day I was sitting with them, and Dad, I'm, I'm really having a problem with pornography. I'm like, okay. Um, I said, what, what do you think you should do about that? I said, well, I, I don't know. What should I do? I don't know, like, how did it start? Is there a key? Is there, a, is there an open door someplace? Is there something, like, what stimulated it? He goes, well, our television set, it doesn't get the porn channels, but you can still see it because they, you know, they, what do they do? They kind of block to block it out. You can still see it. And so what do you think you should do about that? And he said, well, I think I should take my TV out of my room. So, okay, well, why don't you do that? So we took the TV out of the room, and he, there was a couple other things. And a couple months later, we talked again. He's like, I'm still struggling. I'm really struggling. It, it, it hasn't helped. But what do you think we should do? And he had a couple more ideas, and I'm like, okay, let's do this. And we did it for about six months, and it wasn't, it wasn't helping. He wasn't getting better. And so, you know, he comes in my room one day, and he's like, I'm still struggling. And I'm like, you know, I, I just have this feeling that you should tell the whole family at dinner. You want me to tell the whole family? Yeah, because you think people, you think the family loves you and, and, and you wonder if they loved you, if they really knew you. And I think that when you tell them, first of all, one chase is a thousand, two chase, ten thousand. We've been chasing this. How many can five chase, six chase? Why don't you tell the whole family? Because I believe the Lord's going to break this thing off your life. So through tears at, a dinner, at the dinner table, he told his other brothers and sisters and his mother, that he was struggling. There wasn't an ounce of shame at that table. We prayed right there. We, we said, we're with you. You can count on us. We, we'll, we'll, together, as the Valentin family, we will defeat this thing. And it was six tough months later that he finally came into the room one day and said, Dad, I haven't struggled for, it's been two or three weeks. I, I feel like it's really broken over my life. My point is, is that we have to partner with God's authenticity and not with shame and punishment. Shame and punishment is the other two snakes. It sometimes makes us feel good, follow me, the political spirit and the religious spirit want to stand up for justice at the expense of a person. 
We want everyone to know we are against lying. We are against rape. We are against whatever the person did wrong. And we raise the bar so high, people never want to come out and confess because we use shame to try to beat people back into the cave of obedience, and it doesn't work. Are you with me? So I'm saying, let's make sure that we don't partner with the other snakes. <laughs> Good point, Chris. Too late, too late. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to finish with this last part. The other part of authenticity is covenant. Let me read it to you. 1 Samuel 18 verse 1. Now it came about that when David had finished speaking to Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. And Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword, his bow, and his belt. This is the, this is the second part of authenticity that I think is going to heal marriages. Now, when Jonathan gave David his robe, it wasn't like he gave him a nice coat. The, this, these people were kings, not presidents. So David was, the, I'm sorry, Jonathan was the rightful heir to the throne. When he took off his robe and gave it to David, he was saying, I give up my right to the throne and I give it to you. This was powerful. And then he, take, and then he takes his armor off, his sword, his bow, and his belt. This is where I'm going. I, I think that God is going to break the cohabiting spirit that has been over the land for some 70 years. I think that, see, cohabiting says, I'll, I'm in this fort I can get, and I leave my armor on, and I keep my swords and my, my bow and my belt to protect me from you. But, but Jonathan said to David, here is my armor. I give you my armor. I have no armor. There's nothing hidden. I am, metaphorically, I am naked and unashamed as Adam and Eve were in the garden. I give you my armor. And then he said, and here's my weapons. I have no weapons to defend me now, David, from you or from anyone else. If anyone is going to defend me, if anyone is going to shield me, it will have to be you because I have no armor and I have no weapons and you have my armor and my weapons. And what I'm getting at is this is what covenant's about. Covenant is about I love you knowing you can hurt me. And how many understand that you can only love to the depth that you can be hurt? Maybe we should say it the opposite way. You can only be hurt to the depth that you can be loved. No one can hurt you more than somebody that you let connect with you on that level. And here's what happens in life. We let, you know, somebody hurts us. Maybe we're married and we go through a divorce and we're betrayed. You know what betrayal means? Betrayal doesn't mean, oh, that person's against me and they used to be for me. Betrayal means that I told you the secrets in our nakedness in our nothing hidden, I shared things that I've never shared with anyone else. And you shared them in court against me. You used them against me here. You told other people about me. You took our intimate things that only you and I knew about each other. And you shared them with other people. You betrayed me. And then I make an inward vow that says, I will never let anyone hurt me like that. And what I just did is said, no one will ever love me. 
and I'm confined to the ice castle, starving for love and afraid of the very thing I need so badly. And God says, here's the answer, authenticity. Come out of the cave and be real. Come out of the cave. God, I might be hurt again, but you'll never be loved again if you don't come out of the cave and be real again. And I believe that, that cohabiting relationships that, you know, 50, 50, 60, 70 years ago, probably 50 years ago, really began to get momentum. And now people have children out of cohabiting. We see actors and actresses married to each other, and they don't marry. I'm married to each other. I mean, together having children, you know, cohabiting together 10 years, their partner. And, we're, and, 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 we're, and, and I'm saying to you, mark this down. In the next 10 years, there'll be a movement towards marriage. And you know why? Because God has released, like the geese fly south in the winter. You get the idea. In the very DNA of, of humanity, God has released authenticity. And people are starving to be loved again. And how many know, unless you're authentic, you always worry. Do you love me for who I'm pretending to be? Because if you knew me, you wouldn't love me. And God's saying, be real, and you'll see real love. And God is beginning to release Real love. I uh, had the opportunity to go to Winston Churchill's house. And no, he wasn't home, so please stop writing me. I'm just kidding. I, I uh, went to Winston Churchill's house. Danny and, Danny and Sherry and myself, I think it was three years ago or so. And... Uh, I love Winston Churchill. I, I really love uh, civic leaders. Like, that's kind of my thing. I, I love uh, Abraham Lincoln. I, I love uh, uh, Mandela, Nelson Mandela, uh, George Washington, all these guys in history that shifted the course of history. I, I love those kind of leaders. So I, I've read a lot about Churchill. So it was really, really, really intriguing to go to his house when you've read, you know, when you've studied a guy's life. And, and then you have a tour guide that, that they take you through the house. And his house is kind of like, I'm just guessing, six, 7,000 square feet. But it began as a cabin, and like they added onto it. It's kind of a big, a really big, really rustic home. And, and, and we get there, and I, I didn't understand what was going to happen to me. Uh, we get there, and, and, we're, and we, you know, we have to kind of wait for the tour. And so we get in there. And when we get in there, the tour guide is, um, she's emphasizing the medals, there's this cases and cases, you can imagine, of gifts and medals that were given to Churchill, you know, during and after the war. And so she was talking about the medals and the different things. And, and, and I, I, I kind of lost the, tu the tour track, and I was kind of wandering. You can probably guess this, right? I'm not too good at keeping rules anyway. God, he gets so mad at me. <clears throat> so I was kind of wandering my own tour and, and, and kind of listening what she was saying, and we get to this room, uh, we get to this office, uh, it's a pretty, pretty large office, and, and, uh, and nothing in the house, by the way, but they, they sort of remodeled it, but they didn't like repaint it or change any of the carpet or any of the furniture, it was all original. And so I, I go in there, and I'd read a lot about Churchill, and, and, and studied some of his speeches, during, especially that he made during the war. And she said, this is where Churchill wrote most of his speeches while they were dropping bombs on London. And there was a worn, very worn uh, carpet. And she said, Churchill would pace back and forth right here. And he would pray and, 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 and write. And, then, and they had a, there was a desk and it was, it was pretty worn. 
with a place where you could see like he had his elbows on it and, and, and his chair wore out a place in the carpet. And she's like, and this where Churchill would, this is where he would, this is where he would scribe his speeches. And I got so taken, I just began to imagine what it was like for a man to be under that much pressure and be trying to inspire hope for nations. And I wrote this, I, I went out and I, I, I quit the tour and I was so overcome by this, uh, I don't know what it was, like, just kind of like grief and reality. And I sat, there was a bench right out front the front door and I, I sat out the bench and I, I wrote this, most things are perfect and lifeless, mechanical plastic replicas of the real thing. Many people live a photoshopped life. Flaws, frailties, and weaknesses masked by pretend smiles, carefully crafted words, and finely polished images. There's a certain, but there is a certain inherent beauty in real life. Worn patterns and wood floors that reveal pathways and passions. Marks on thresholds marred by those who lives, whose lives toiled there. I visited Winston Churchill's home. It was a large rustic mansion with hand-hewed beams and plank floors. Many tourists were impressed by the trophies that filled the cabinets that hung in many of the rooms. Personally, I was drawn to the warm places in certain rooms where Churchill must have walked and knelt often. A discolored leather chair captured my attention where Winston sat a lot. I imagined him seated there during those tough, war-torn days, contemplating and praying for wisdom or pacing the floor in deep thought. A well-used desk stood proudly in the den that once served as the place Winston crafted many of his speeches, I was overwhelmed by the sense of nobility that filled that room. I loved, the, I loved that the house was lived in, imperfect, marred, scarred, and worn. There was intrinsic beauty about the old mansion, walls that, to, that, walls that told stories, floors that whispered secrets, antique furniture that begged to reveal mysteries. I sat on the bench outside his door for a long time, just reflecting on the revelation that was seeping into my soul, by simply being in the same place that once was occupied by a broken but great man. I like my machines, my iPads and car and computer to be perfect, shiny, flawless. But, be- but the beauty of humanity lies in flaws, in frailties, and in weakness. Real might be rustic, but at least it's alive, not robotic, robotic programmed, and predictable. I want to end with this thought thoughts you know we um we we like uh we like to read business and leadership books here on our team and we have one book we've read is uh, the uh, strength finders which is a book that helps you to find your your strengths and you take a you take a test after you read the book and you find your five greatest strengths and i, I love all those things and i love the different kinds of tests that we've take to kind of like uncover what you're good at but lately and recently, I've been taken by the fact that God likes weakness. <laughs> and that you could name all your strengths. If I said, who are you? And you said, I'm this and this and this. But if you didn't name your weaknesses, I'm not talking about your moral failures. I'm talking about the divinely placed frailties that God actually designed to be in you. That if you didn't mention your frailties and your weaknesses, you wouldn't be telling us who you are because you are not just your strengths. You are your divinely placed weaknesses. Those weaknesses 
are like carvings in crystal. Like God put them there intentionally. Because when you are weak, he is strong. And his strength is perfected in your weakness, not in your strength. And what I'm getting at is that this move of authenticity, God is saying, come out and be you. Not be you immoral, not be you liar, not be you adulterer. You're better than that. But come out and be fully alive, be fully authentic. Because we love you for who you are, not who you pretend to be. And I want to just say that it's time for us to lead this move of authenticity because God is doing something that's going to bring people into wholeness. Years ago, I, I, you may have heard this story. I, uh, I wrote a couple of books that a, a university is using um, in their ministry track. And so the chancellor of that university said, I was with him, and he said, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to give you a, a doctorate, an earned doctorate. I'm like, well, that's cool. He said, you have all, if you write a thesis and then you do these few things, um, we will graduate you with an earned doctorate because we use, actually use your stuff. Anyway, and I'm like, okay, I had to actually Google thesis. I didn't know what it meant. I was, I was Googling it while he was talking to me. I'm like, thesis. Oh, yeah. I thought, like, it's a theory. I, I have a theory. Uh, uh, I don't believe in gravity. The world is flat. You know, I'm like, I have to come up with some kind of theory, you know. And I said to him, well, I, I wrote a book on, this is when I wrote the book uh, on women, Fashion to Rain. I said, I just finished this book on women, and I did all this research. He goes, oh, that'd be great. We'll just, we'll reformat it into the format we need, and that could be your thesis. I'm like, that's awesome. So anyway, long story short, I came home. I was so excited. Called my mother. She cried on the phone. Oh, you're finally going to be educated. <laughs> you know how moms are, you know. You could you'd be a drug addict, and your mother's like, oh, he's studying to be a pharmacist. You know. I always believe in you. So, so anyway, so Beth was my PA at the time, and I, I came home, and they gave me a counselor uh, to to help me like with all the things I needed, because there was a number of things I had to like gather for the for the uh, graduation. So, so Beth was putting it all together and reformatting the stuff for me, and it it was it's quite involved. It's several hours, and we probably got halfway into it. Um, maybe we were like two months into it, and I, I went to bed one night, and um, before I fell asleep, the Lord said, "Hey, I heard you're getting a doctorate." I said, yeah. He said, you didn't ask me about that. I said, okay. Can I get a doctorate? He said, no. I said, why not? He said, because, he said, if you have letters after your name, people think you can do this, and we both know you can't. And he said, you're a sign of what I can do with weakness. And if you go get letters after your name, people will think you actually can do this, and you know it's only me through you that can do this. So you'll ruin what I've created you to be, and that is a broken person who I do a lot through. Can I ask you a question? When people call you an overachiever, is that a compliment? <laughs> anyway, okay. <laughs> it's like when people say, oh, you lost weight. In other words, last time you saw me, you knew I was fat. You didn't say anything. Okay, here we go. I, I see how this works. Okay, don't even try to give me a compliment. I'll turn it around to not like you. Why don't you stand? I'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Let me say this. You, you, you can confess, but if you don't have Jesus in your life, you don't have the power to actually get well. And so if you're in here today, or maybe you're watching by Bethel TV and you're, 
you're like, I've never really followed Jesus. I've never given my life to Jesus. Listen, this confession and repentance, actually, it doesn't do much for you if you don't have the power of Jesus working in you. And so I want to encourage you, all of us in here have had the same experience where we've actually invited Jesus into our life, and the Bible says we became born again. And I want to invite you into that. If you're watching by Bethel TV, or if you're here in the audience, I'd just like you to raise your hand if you're like, I'd like to meet Jesus. Or maybe you're like, I've met Jesus, but I walked away, and I'd like to make my way back, and I've come here today as the beginning of making my way back. Is there anyone in the room like that? If there's people in the room, would you just raise your hand? I'd just like to pray with you right where you're at. Anyone in the room? Am I missing somebody? Oh, there you are. Awesome. God bless you. We're so excited for you. Yes, there's somebody else too. Oh, yes. We just bless you. We're so excited for you. God's doing a new thing in you. I, I want to say this word to both of you. Isaiah 43, 9, and to the people who are watching too. Uh, the former things have come to pass. This is a, a Bible verse. Behold, I proclaim new things to you. Sing to the Lord a new song. And it, it means that the Lord is doing a new thing in your life and that he's the one that's going to actually make it happen in your life. And for those who are watching by Bethel TV, I just want to say grace and peace to you. And God's welcoming you into the kingdom. Those two of you, or there's others that I didn't see, if you'll come up right over here to this banner, they would love just to take 10 minutes with you. They're going to pray with you, share a few verses, give you a Bible, and make sure you get on your way. Let me just pray for you all. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in this whole this whole season, this whole era of authenticity, that it would lead, Lord, to wholeness in us and that love and connection would be the result of this, of this spirit moving over our land. And Lord, I pray that every one of us would have the gift of distinguishing of spirits so we know what snakes are yours, what things you're proposing, what things are really you. And Lord, that we would not run away from a move of God and let the enemy take it over, but we would run into the move of God and partnering with you and making sure that people find freedom and covenant and connection. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelleton.com. Have an awesome day.